if you were to ask me, what is the most surprising thing that's happened in our culture in the past 10 years? Uh, here's how I would answer you. Uh, in fact, I will tell you, I am endlessly fascinated by this. It is so surprising to me. 10 years ago, in our culture, we were neck deep in relativism. Uh, if you don't know what relativism is, uh, relativism is the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. So relativism, you've probably heard about it endlessly, is this idea that what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. Uh, it says that morality, which just means like right and wrong, how you live, says morality is relative to each culture and even to each individual to live out any desire that they would like. Each person can decide what's true for them. That is America 2011. Now, <clears throat> I might even say that describes America, uh, maybe even like late 90s all the way to like mid-2000s or so, if we can call them that. And it kind of appeared like everything was going that direction, that we were all just going to drown ourselves in the intellectual contradiction of the truth is, there is no truth. And it looked like that's where we were going. But then, almost like a boomerang making its turn back, the culture started to shift. And now, shockingly, in 2021, our culture at large is becoming fiercely moral, obsessed with morality. Now, this is something that I don't think hardly anyone would have predicted uh, 10 years ago. Now, we're still in this kind of transition phase, so absolutely, you do still endear, indeed hear people say, hey, you can't tell me what to think, I decide what's right for me, all of those things. But the tide is turning, and it's turning quickly. I, I want to give you a few examples of how our culture is shifting. So when I say the culture at large around us is becoming very moral, so they're talking a lot about right and wrong, an absolute right or wrong, Here, here's, here's some things of what I mean. So take like a, a moral issue. You can pick any moral issue you want, uh, like a sex could be how we treat each other, uh, marriage, or any of the classic issues that people have just endlessly debated for the last 50 years. So uh, abortion, classism, racism, sexism, uh, you name it. People have always had opinions on these issues, and they always will. The difference is, 10 years ago, if you brought up your opinion on one of those issues, and someone was disagreeing with you, they were most likely to say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me don't tell me how to live my life. That's relativism. It's postmodernism. Uh, back when I was in high school, <clears throat> which was more than 10 years ago, I remember I was taking an ethics class on all the hot-button issues. It was called World Affairs, and we went through every issue that you could think of. And to this day, I have no clue what my teacher actually believed. Uh, he would present one side of the issue to go, oh, that's the side I'm on. And the next day, he would present the other side. He'd go, nope, I'm on that side. <laughs> he could just brilliantly portray each side and the reasoning for it. But you didn't know. You were sort of left to make your own conclusion. Well, educational philosophy, which was one of the first things to shift, to boomerang back, is now shifted out of this postmodern relativistic worldview. The culture now believes that we should educate and tell people what to believe because we believe now that the culture is right and that everyone should come to that right conclusion. Uh, you can see this type of thinking uh, almost anywhere now in 2021, and this looks really different. So you turn on your TV, 
you read the news online, you go through social media, and you'll see celebrities, uh, athletes, uh, even corporations taking moral stances on things. Now, if you could have told people 10 years ago, you could time travel back to 2011, and you could have told them that in the year 2021, that Target or Walmart or Medtronic or you name it, is going to issue three or four or five or six moral statements a year. And I'm not even saying... That it, they may be right, they may be wrong, but they're issuing statements a year, four, five, six, on what is moral, what is right or wrong. Not a soul would have believed you. Because we would have said 10 years ago, no way. Because corporations or famous people or athletes or celebrities or whatever, they stay out of that stuff. And you know why they stay out of it? Because we believe that everyone can believe what they want to believe. That's postmodernism. Now, time out. I need to call a, a super important time out here because some of you are making false conclusions about what I'm saying. I don't want you to think so much about what the culture is saying or the message that the culture is giving or what a celebrity is saying or what an athlete is saying or a corporation is saying. I don't want you to think about what they're saying, but the fact that they're actually saying it now. Because as a product of the political world in which many of you are grounded in now, some of you for the last five minutes have gone, yep, those liberals always telling people what to believe, shaping our culture, telling us how to think. And there are others of you in this room that are going, Republicans. Oh, just you can nervously laugh. It's okay. I know you want to. Republicans always just forcing their morals on everybody. I don't want you to concentrate so much on what they're saying or what side it's even coming from, but the mere fact that they are now telling you what to believe in the first place. This is incredibly different. It's a massive culture shift that's happening in front of our eyes because 10 years ago, nobody would tell you what to think. By the way, some of this is good. Not absolutely every statement that's issued or everything the culture says is wrong. Sometimes it's right. And secondly, I actually think it's easier for us as Christians to now share the gospel in this sort of environment. It's incredibly difficult to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't believe in truth at all. Because there's no foundation which you can even start from. Okay, why are we even talking about this, first of all, today? Well, as Christians... If we're going to bring Jesus to the people of our culture, we want to be able to intellectually understand the culture. Just like if you think about missionaries. Missionaries, if they're going overseas to a different place, often will spend even years trying to understand the people and the culture that they're going to so that they can best bring Jesus into that culture. And I truly believe that our Bible passage this morning is going to help us better understand how to speak into the shifting culture that we find ourselves living in. And let me remind you of something. Our aim is not to win an argument with people, but to win people to Christ. I'm going to say that some of you actually need to hear me say it twice. I'm going to say it twice. Our aim is not to win an argument with people, but to win people to Christ. We want to understand people, not so we can be superior to them, but so we can better speak about Jesus to them. We cannot get that backwards. So 
Many Christians have that backwards. Okay, we, we've been walking through the book of Luke in the Bible as a church. Luke is one of four books about the life, the death, the teachings, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, everybody grab a Bible. There's a Bible in front of you on the chair or the, the pew, as Tim Wilson called it a few minutes ago. Uh, maybe I was the only one that caught that, but I did. Uh, okay, so page 718, or maybe you brought your own Bible, or you grab a phone, um, you can tap Bible and renovation app. We've been jumping around just a tiny bit here the last couple of weeks to kind of fit in Palm Sunday and Easter, but we are back now in chronological order uh, with Luke chapter 20. We are in the last week of Jesus's life. So uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. On Monday, he's flipping over tables in the temple because people are hindering others from encountering God by their exorbitant exchange rates. And now it is Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus is back in the temple, and we are in Luke chapter 20. So you look for the big 20 on the page. Oh, that's right, where verse 1 starts. We're doing 1 through 8 today. <clears throat> Here's what it says. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. <laughs> I love Jesus. Okay. Tell me, John's baptism. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about, he's referring to John the Baptist, uh, who was a prophet who paved the way for Jesus. And he was baptizing people in the Jordan River as a symbol of people repenting. That means turning their life back around and giving their life to God. And this amazing thing was happening. All these people were coming back to God. So Jesus is going to ask him about it. He's going to say, John's baptism... Was it from heaven? So was it ordained by God or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And he sort of did by referring to John, and we'll explain that in just a few minutes. Now, this is a passage about authority. So the, the Jewish religious leaders, they come up to Jesus in the temple, and they say, who gave you this authority? Who gave you the authority to walk into our temple and clear everybody out? Like, where'd you get that authority from? Who gave you the authority to start telling people what's right and wrong and how to live? Who gave you the authority to tell people how to connect with God and how to be forgiven and how to be saved? Who gave you this authority? And the reason that the Jewish leaders are asking Jesus this question of who gave you this authority is because they believe that, well, they have the authority to determine right and wrong and how people should answer life's biggest questions. And, you know, this is the same reason as so many people today have a problem with Jesus and the Bible, especially now as we're moving out of this, well, everyone can believe what they want, and back to the battle for truth, you're going to see persecution increase over the next few decades in a culture like this, because Jesus Christ is an authority. In fact, one of the things we kind of anecdotally say about Jesus a lot in the Gospels is they'll say, and he taught with authority. If you go and you read the verse right before the famous uh, Great Commission, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, uh, the verse before that says this. Uh, Matthew says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. Jesus is the supreme authority for how human beings should live and know God and answer life's biggest questions because he's the son of God. And the word of God, the Bible, is God's revelation to humanity. It is our ultimate authority. But what's happening is as the culture around us now is boomeranging back and shifting from everybody gets to decide what they want, they're clashing with this, right? Kind of like the Pharisees were clashing. You know, you look at, you look at verse 4 and they're, they're frustrated because they thought they had the authority and they want the authority. So they say, who gave you this authority? And Jesus says to them, okay, what, <clears throat> what about all those baptisms that John was doing? What was that? Where did that come from? By the way, if you want to learn more about this, you can go on to our website. We did a message. This was way back in Luke chapter 3, which we are going through in May of 2018, by the way. And John tells people that they've got to change, and God's doing this amazing things. But if you also read about John the Baptist, which you can study in mostly the beginning chapters of the Gospels, John chapter 1, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Messiah from heaven. He calls Jesus the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so if the Pharisees say, oh yeah, we believe in John, that was a movement from God, they're basically saying, they have to say, well then we believe John, who said that Jesus is the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, then he has authority on absolutely everything. But they don't want to believe that, right? And so the Jewish leaders, they kind of lie, and they say, we don't know where it was from. And they choose this like middle ground that's not even really there. These Jewish leaders, they're people that they want to be spiritual, but they don't want to fully submit to the authority and kingship of Jesus Christ. They would rather fit Jesus into their box, into their rules, their culture, than live under the authority of Jesus. And my friends, there are so many people like this today in churches, even in our church, in Christians in America. I was <clears throat> talking with a pastor uh, once who uh, pastors a church that doesn't uh, fully believe in the Bible, uh, which is like having a doctor that doesn't believe in medicine, uh, by the way. Uh, but there are churches out there like this. Uh, in history, I will tell you that they never last very long. They always pop up as people want to go with the culture. It's a little bit of a flash in the pan because eventually the people in the seats of these churches, they come and they come every week and they go, eventually they come to the conclusion, why am I coming every week to listen to a teaching on a book that I don't believe in? And so it peters out. Anyway, I'm talking to this pastor and I, I just said to him, I said, listen, you clearly don't believe a lot of what the Bible teaches about how people are saved who is saved, how to live right and wrong. And I said, you know, much of the letters, many of the letters of the New Testament clearly contradict what your church teaches and believes on a number of things. So I said, I'm just really curious, theologically, philosophically, how do you determine right and wrong? Like, what is your authority on that? And he said to me, he said, it's Jesus. I said, okay, uh, tell me more. I don't completely understand. And he said, well, here's what we do. <clears throat> he said, we know, as we read the Gospels, that Jesus is so loving and he is so kind. So when we come to a particular moral issue, we always ask ourselves, what would our loving Jesus do? 
And then, when we come up with our answer on that, we go with that. And I'll tell you, there are many churches, there are many Christians even, that worship this sort of false, made-up version of Jesus Christ today. Where they embrace certain aspects of Jesus' character. They love the story about Jesus welcoming the kids, but they're cutting out the parts of Jesus flipping over the tables. Or Jesus speaking about hell, which I felt like was like two-thirds of the book of Luke, especially the middle part. And they cut it out. And they're worshiping a false god. It is a Jesus that they've disfigured beyond recognition so that they could fit him into the box of their current culture. They're adapting Jesus so he fits into their worldview rather than adapting their worldview to come under Jesus. And I'm not sure that a lot of people even recognize that they're doing this. Because it still looks like they're praying to Jesus and worshiping Jesus. But if they were to look deep into their thinking, they would find that their ultimate authority is not Jesus Christ. It's actually their culture. And they're just trying to fit Jesus into their culture. Let me give you a really key question that every human being should at one point ask of themselves. And I think very, very, very few people ask this question. Here it is. I'll throw it on the screen for you. By what authority are you answering life's biggest questions? Because everybody answers life's biggest questions by how they live their life. Whether they can write it down or not, we do. And when I say life's biggest questions, I mean questions like, what is right? What is wrong? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? What happens when I die? How are you determining answers to life's biggest questions? And by what authority are you determining these answers? Now, if you just stop for a moment and you think about this, the culture at large is not answering the biggest question, the questions about authority. The culture at large is simply telling you what to believe. And don't get caught up again about what they're saying. From all angles and many sides, they're telling you what to believe, without actually telling you the foundation for why you should think that way. And my friend, I will tell you that is uh, incredibly dangerous. If you look really hard at any culture, and you can pick anyone around the world or in history, most of the time, the reasons behind a culture's morality is incredibly shallow. So you can take America in 2021. I'm just stereotypically the culture at large. And if you start asking questions, I'm just going to ask a whole bunch of questions. You'll find that there's often no why underneath it. So in America, we, when we make moral decisions, one of our number one things we say is, well, I'm going to choose that because it is loving. Well, you could say, well, who gets to determine that it's loving or not? Or we could ask, well, why is love the number one determiner of right and wrong? And not justice or fairness or some other quality. And who determined that? So we want to ask questions like Jesus always asked questions. And you'll find that there are no answers in our culture to the deeper questions because the culture has no authority than what the majority currently thinks. This is America right now. 
The majority is the authority. In some, some ways, that makes sense, right? We don't want to go against the grain. And so we just let whatever the majority is be the authority on what is right and wrong. And the majority determines morality. Here's the danger in that. I think a lot of people don't realize that majority opinion is always shifting. It is always evolving. Let me give you an example of this uh, from American history. I read this illustration from uh, Timothy Keller three, four years ago, maybe, and it's just always stuck with me. You remember who uh, Joe McCarthy is? Uh, Maybe you read about him in history. Uh, McCarthy was the United States senator who, in the 1950s, was always accusing everyone, uh, government leaders to celebrities, of being a communist spy. You read about this, it's called McCarthyism. Well, anyway, uh, you can imagine that people were absolutely trying to get rid in Washington. They were trying to get rid of McCarthy because they were probably next on his list. And so everybody and their mother was trying to dig up dirt on Joe McCarthy. Well, here's the thing. Joe McCarthy was a known sexual harasser. He was always touching his secretaries in very inappropriate ways when he came near them. He was always trying to embarrass uh, secretaries with just dirty jokes. And the guy was a textbook sexual harasser. And everybody was trying so hard to get rid of Joe McCarthy in the 1950s, but they couldn't because Joe McCarthy had never committed adultery. He was faithful to his wife. Now, in the 1950s in America, the dominant culture in power said that sexual harassment was a very little sin, basically not even worth talking about. So if you were faithful to your wife, but you kind of harassed some of your secretaries or women, they would say, he's still a good guy. But if you committed adultery, or you had sex outside of marriage in any context, your career was over immediately, instantly. Because sex outside of marriage in the 1950s, according to the dominant culture, was an enormous sin. Now, think about this. I think this is absolutely fascinating. Our culture today says the exact opposite. Does it not? You think about like a politician, for example. A politician can have sex outside of marriage and their career is not over at all. You have plenty of examples of this on both sides of the aisle. But if they are caught in sexual harassment, according to our culture, their career is over instantly. Now, I'm not making a political statement, nor am I saying that one of those flips is better than the other. I happen to agree with the Bible that both of those things are sinful. But what I'm trying to show you is this. If you are letting the culture and what the majority thinks in the culture be your authority that answers life's biggest questions, you better realize that the culture's viewpoints are always changing. What I don't think a lot of people stop to think about is the culture right now, in 2021, is coming at you as if it is a moral authority on how one should act and determine right and wrong. But the culture fails to remember that it's been contradicting itself since the beginning of time. And yet somehow it seems to convince each new generation of people that their current snapshot 
on the timeline of human history is morally superior than everyone else who's come before them. Uh, the great C.S. Lewis, you know what he called this sort of thinking? Some of you maybe heard this before. He called it chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is the idea that we understand, we must understand morality better than all the previous generations simply because we are farther along in the timeline of human history. And a lot of people think that. They look back and they sort of cherry pick out issues from the past and say, see, we're morally superior, so we have a better understanding of right and wrong. But let me tell you someone. Something as someone who just loves history, anyone who's actually studied the awful ups and downs of history, all the awful wars. You look, just look at the 20th century; it's the bloodiest century in the history of humanity. You look at the genocides. Nobody thinks that history is just on this one long upswing of greater understanding of morality. And what even gives a society or a culture the authority? to determine the answers to life's biggest questions anyway. So just as the Pharisees asked Jesus, who gave you this authority? We, as Christians, need to ask the culture at large, who gave you this authority? The authority to say what is right and wrong. Where did you get that authority from? And we've got to continue to ask questions. And why is it that the culture is right in 2021. But now we're wrong in 2003. Or in 1950. Or in 1600. And listen, if you're right now, simply because it's 2021, and not 50 years ago, don't you realize that the people of 2051 are going to think you are almost Neanderthalic? in your thinking. They're going to look back at you and say, those people, 2021, barbaric. Because that's how it works. It's constantly evolving and changing. And why is it, do you think this question, why is it that American Western society and culture is right in 2021? What about the hundreds of millions of people who live in sub-Saharan Africa? Because they think very differently than Western culture, by the way. Are they not right simply because of where they live on the map? And a lot of people, they just never stop to think at this level. Who gave you that authority? Even the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, as they're talking with them, they don't want to think on that level. Jesus is asking them questions, and they just, they won't even engage. They just want to fit Jesus into their box. And that's it. Now, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I am a bit worried in giving this message. Because I fear that too many of you in this room are getting puffed up with pride listening to this message. Some of you for the last 20 minutes have been going, "Mm -hmm, preach it, David. You preach it, and you preach it hard. Yeah, those people out there in the culture... They don't even—they never even ask big questions like I ask big questions. They don't even have an authority that they're living by. They're just changing with the times. They think the majority and the, they don't know, but we know. I wonder what Jesus would say to us if he heard us thinking like that. And by the way, he did hear us thinking like that. For one, I think when we think like that, 
And we make it into an argument again. That somehow the goal is that we win an argument with the culture. And this happens because we expose ourselves all day long to radio and TV where the goal is to win an argument. The goal is not to win an argument, Christ follower. The goal is to win people to Jesus Christ, that he would save them and transform their lives. And when we start thinking like this, oh yeah, I'm right, I'm right, we forget exactly what we just talked about last week. That our goal is to have the heart of Jesus Christ for lost people, that we would weep over the city. And secondly, I think we must realize that Jesus might say the same thing to us that he was about to say to those Jewish leaders. If John's baptism was really from God, then why didn't you believe him? In other words, if you say that you don't follow the culture, but you follow the authority of Jesus, then why don't you obey him? This is not about being right philosophically and saying, oh yes, my ideas on life are closer to that of Jesus. Submitting to authority isn't submitting to ideas or principles, it's submitting to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And our lives are chock full of different areas where we've determined that we know better than Jesus. Right? It might be tithing, could be the decision to be baptized, or serving the poor, Uh, Maybe even just the willingness to avoid lust at any cost, like Jesus says. There's so many examples where we say we live under the authority of Jesus, but in truth, no, we live under the authority of ourselves. So I urge you, as we study this passage this morning, as you study it this week in house groups, hear this word with humility, not pride. Our response to this passage cannot be a smug smile because we got things right. It should be a sigh of relief that we get to come under an authority who is good. That we, why the culture is constantly doing this, that we get to come under Jesus Christ who never changes and never will. God is the ultimate authority because he is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the maker of us. His ways are higher than our ways in all of the shifting cultures. And my friend, if you've just been chasing the culture, or you've been trying to adapt your Christian beliefs away from the Bible and into the culture, you're trying to live up now to the culture's quickly evolving standards, I implore you today, come under the authority of King Jesus. Hear his words to you today. It's from Matthew chapter 11. He's saying to you, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is like what they put over oxen. So you're coming under the leadership and the authority of Jesus. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And one of the reasons that is true is because Jesus Christ can forgive your sins. The culture cannot forgive your sins. And now that the culture has shifted back to be an apparent truth teller, what you're going to find is it will keep telling you that you are a sinner, but it will tell you you are a sinner in a brand new way every year. And the people of America are going to find it exhausting. And they need Jesus Christ. And maybe you need Jesus Christ as the rock who never changes. Someone that you can come under that will never change. 
he will lead you and forgive you. This Jesus Christ loves you so much. The Son of God came from heaven to earth and died on a cross. And when he died on the cross, he was paying for your sins, for your punishment. And the Bible says if you would come under his leadership and say, I'm going to make you the leader of my life. I'm turning my life over to you. I believe you died in my place, that he would forgive everything you've ever done. And you can know him. You can have a relationship with God if you do that. It's pretty amazing. But it's a choice. It's a choice to say, I'm going to live under the leadership of Jesus. And by the way, too many American Christians say, I want to do both. I, w- I want to be a Christian, but I kind of want to fit in with the culture. And Jesus, read through the Gospels. He speaks against this all the time. He says, there's a, a, there's a path that is wide and leads to destruction, and there is a narrow path. Choose a path. You can't have a leg in each side. And if you're at a place where you need to say, no, I, gotta, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Believe in him. Let him be my leader. It may be that you've been thinking about this for weeks. If you need to make that decision today, I, I urge you to make the decision today. In fact, we're going to sing a final worship song here. And if at any time during the song you're going, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn my life over to Jesus as my leader. Uh, I'm just going to be out in the lobby during the last song. And if at any time you can just kind of sneak out of your row, come out into the lobby, talk with me, and I'll give you some next steps on how to do that. It's, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. But if the Lord is telling you you need to do it, then, then trust him. He, he, we come under his authority, but we know that it is good. So we trust him. All right, let me pray. Jesus Christ, we, uh, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. As the culture around us exponentially changes so fast, it is dizzying, Father. And we are grateful that you are the same and that you are good. And God, that you love us. I pray for this church that we would be a people that walk the narrow path and that people see us walking it, not in condemnation, but in love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.